All right, welcome to Data Plus Love. This is Joshua Smith. If you are scratching your head, because that seems a little bit weird, that's because we're going to do something a little bit different today. I will be interviewing the incredible Zach Bowers. Zach, say hello to your own fans. Hello to my own fans. And uh, thank you for the very sedate intro, Josh. You're welcome. Uh, try not to get too excited on this podcast, but really, I'm just trying to hold that excitement back. Um, your trajectory this year has been phenomenal. Um, I've known you now. How long have you known each other? It's been a year and a half? Maybe two years, maybe 16 years, months. Something yeah, like oh. that. Um, 20 years, I don't know. Knew each other in a past life. Um, but you have grown so much and it's it's visible in your Tableau public profile, but it's also visible in your presence. Um, it's visible in your relationships. So um, for the listeners out there, I joined the Tableau community uh, late 2017, I believe. Zach was already a staple in this community, already had these relationships, was already very active. Um, but over the last year or so, this growth in your own work um, and your representation and your recognition uh, has been incredible. I am really curious, and I'm sure all of your listeners are, to hear this story from your perspective. So, Zach, I'm going to give you the floor. What's happened over the last two years? What has your journey been like? Wow. So first off, um, that's very humbling. And also, I would love to refute a lot of that um, because I'm, I'm mortified by attention. So what I will do instead of all that is say to my dear listeners, I did not put him up to any of that. It was a stipulation of Josh to be on the podcast that he could do this to me. Um, so, so yeah, this, I, I'm, uh, I'm surprised by this as much as you are, but I think for me, um, it's been definitely been a journey. I got into the Tableau community maybe two and a half or three years ago. My first viz was back in the summer of 2017. It was my M night Shyamalan viz, which looks very much like a gussied up business dashboard. But, um, one of the things that's changed for me in probably the past year and a half is a focus on topics that I felt passionate about and very interested in. So instead of uh, jumping at every exercise that popped up, which was my early practice, because I sort of wanted to be in the game, wanted to be part of the community and be engaged in the stuff I saw everyone else doing. I found a lot of those when I wasn't really interested in the topic, uh, the output wasn't something I was super proud of, um, which isn't to say like if you're doing stuff at work, sometimes you're working on a project that you're not like deeply invested in, but it's still your job and you're going to feel, you know, a deep sense of pride in what you accomplish. But uh, when you're taking your extra time, your recreation time, your time outside of work, and you're cre creating something that you don't really care that much about, it's sometimes shows like a lot. Um, so what I did instead was I started focusing on topics I was into uh, video games, comic books, pop culture, uh, histories, uh, stuff like that. And as I got more into those topics, I sort of worked on a visual style that I felt worked better with topics that I was interested in. And oftentimes it was very splashy and poppy and colorful and bright. And over time, it's become much more minimalistic. Uh, with early visits, I wanted to show how much I could accomplish and how much I knew. And then with later visits, I wanted to show how little I could get away with. So that's, that's the gist of it for me, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned your, um, your Night Shyamalan viz and I, I don't think I've seen that one. So I went to, to find it and I scrolled 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 and then I found it. Um, you know, that's a testament to that. Now I'm trying to scroll back up to the top of your uh, <laughs> Tableau public profile, 137 visits since 2017. 
Um, that's a lot. Uh, I, I had a note here that I wanted to ask you about. Um, uh, it feels like you're always awake. So a sneak peek to some of the listeners, um, Zach and I will text frequently because the overlap of topics that we're interested in, comics, video games, et cetera, have just developed into a lot of back and forth. Have you read this comic? Have you tried this video game? Um, so I feel like I learn a lot about a ton of non-Tableau related things from Zach and I, I try to share my own pieces of the world from that. And I think I just convinced you to buy a couple of new video games. Um, we bonded over that. But I swear I can text you at like 1130 p.m. and be like, he'll get this when he wakes up. Boom, you're there. I'll text you at like 6 a.m. or something and be like, he'll get this when he wakes up. Boom, you're there. During the course of the night, when I have put my phone down, I will have received multiple text messages from you. So I'm not convinced you actually sleep. More evidence is you have 137 visits on your Tableau public profile. Tell me, what is your life like? Because I know you're a parent too. You've got to be quite busy. I mean, I am obviously. And uh, COVID era that we're, we all find ourselves in now is obviously different. But um, I mean, honestly, uh, my typical work schedule is I work from 7 to 3.30 every day. That's just my normal work hours, um, which means I get up around 6 or 6.30 earlier when I had to drive into the office. But I mean, that means by 3.30 in the afternoon, I'm done. And with the summer, with the kids here, that means there's quite a lot of hours left in the day to burn. Um, typically... When I'm done with work, I'm, you know, doing dad stuff. I'm cooking dinner. I'm hanging out with the kids and stuff. But we try to get the kids to bed around eight o'clock, which is right about now. So there's possibility you may hear grade schoolers arguing loudly with my wife in the background. But I mean, by eight o'clock if or eight thirty, if I have the kids asleep, I'm sitting up here in my office. I might have a movie or some music running in the background. And yeah, I might read or play a game or something. But a lot of times I'm kicking around with a new viz idea. So um I've incorporated casual data visualization into my downtime and relaxation. And I mean, after that, during that time, my kids are slowly falling asleep. I'm doing that. My wife is going and taking a shower and doing her stuff. And then we finally get to spend time together in the evening. Um, and yeah, then sleep. Yeah, and, sleep and comes eventually. Much, eventually. And there's not much of that. Um, you know, you, you mentioned something there. It's sort of like a, a trade-off. Um, you, you might play a video game, you might watch a movie, but often you find yourself doing Tableau. I, when I'm talking to new people um, in the workplace, right, or professional acquaintances that want to take their Tableau game to the next level, and they see works like yours, um, uh, works like uh, Zen Master's work, Ambassador's work, um, they see those things and they get very excited. I think you hear the cat in the background and you're I'm already laughing about it. I'm um, loving My wife is frantically apologizing here right next to me. Our cat is obnoxiously food obsessed. We had my um, cat in like the first or second episode, so it's all good. Oh, perfect. Um, I, I'm glad to hear that uh, data plus love is also data plus love and cats. Um, at least the love extends there. That's how we get um, Ann Jackson on board. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, you know, when I'm talking to uh, new acquaintances and they see Tableau public profiles, I'm like, how did you get there? Well, let's be honest. A lot of it's because we enjoy doing this and it's, it's a hobby. Um, we have fun with this. Tell me more about, you know, what is it about this that makes you prioritize it over using your spare time toward other hobbies like reading comics or watching movies or playing video games or anything uh, other people might choose to do instead of 
work with a business intelligence software platform? Um, I, I guess part of it would come down to if I thought of it as a business intelligence platform, I probably wouldn't be as inclined to uh, spend my free time doing it. I've always sort of been creatively inclined, particularly towards drawing and doodling and that sort of thing. So, I mean, uh, growing up, even if I was watching TV in the evening or whatever, I would still be drawing uh, at the same time. And that's carried over my six-year-olds like that. She, We bought her uh, for Christmas an art desk, reams of paper, and uh, colored pencils. And within about a day, she had littered the floor of the entire house with just uh, like tons of artwork. And I don't mean like partially formed. I mean like full pages. They're just scattered everywhere, uh, which means she's better at follow through than me. But uh, I mean, I've sort of embraced Tableau as a platform for creation. Um, and basically you're limited by your creativity and your ability. And I think we've seen that um, through the, I would say the eras. Tableau hasn't been around that long. It's probably been around maybe like 16 years tops. Um but we see that with uh, fresh new faces and voices coming out all the time. You know, uh, today on Twitter, Rodrigo has been circulating a hashtag where he's asking people what sort of inspired them to look at Tableau as something for creativity. For me, it was uh, Reddy Zakovich had done this amazing queen visualization. It's like Freddie Mercury with his hand up in the air and the various queen albums sort of bending down towards it uh, like a rainbow forming like a giant chalice as he described it. And to me, that was like, whoa, hey, this can this can be really awesome and inspirational and cool looking. You know, what else can you do with it? And you see the hackers out there, like uh, you see Tuan, you see the Fleurilages uh, that are sort of inclined to sort of bend and break and see what you can just contort the tool to do. And then you see people using very conventional means within the tool to accomplish other creative things. So uh, really you're limited by what you would like to say and your ability. Unfortunately, there's so many people out there trying to make it easy for everyone else to learn all the cool tricks um, that there's no excuse not to make whatever you want. Yeah. Um, what, when you think about all these skills you have and this creativity that it lets you have, um, what are some unlocks you've had over time? What are some things that, uh, as I look through the beginning of your Tableau public profile and I look at where it is now, obviously the tool itself has, uh, changed a little bit. Um, but I think there's also, even beyond that growth uh, that you've demonstrated. And in fact, right, you won a busy for that most growth. Um, what are unlocks you've had, whether creative or technological, that have enabled you to say more with the same platform? That's a great question. So for me, there are a couple different flashpoints that sort of kicked off my creativity. So um, I may have said this before. I think I definitely said it. I did a Viz Connect the other week, which if you are in the central time zone in the U.S. occur like at 630 in the morning, which is a very fun time uh, to give a, uh, a presentation to your peers that's going to be recorded on YouTube forever. Um, but one of the early flashpoints for me, and I say early, I think it was last March in terms of, hey, I have a cool idea that I I don't think anyone has done. Turns out they did. Um, but I had a different take on it was I called it go charting at the time. I was inspired by um, by the band OK Go. They have a music video called Obsession where they perform in front of a wall of computer printers and they fake the effect of animation by slowing down the cameras and printing off sheets of colored paper to create the effect of movement behind them with the different sheets that come out. And I thought about paging in Tableau, and I thought about how if you created a grid and you populated the grid with what you wanted and you advanced that using paging, you could create, in effect, animation 
um, making things appear to move when in reality, all animation is kind of a, a trick. Um, all animation is a new image rather than the same image that's moved. So what I did was now I sort of recognize it for what it is, but I created a data scaffold grid of a five by five grid and I left outer joined that to a, basically an extremely long Excel spreadsheet that I populated with instructions of how to populate that grid and when. So that when you hit play on paging, you're getting pinwheel effects and you're getting things moving across the page and up and down. And I mean, I spent the better part of a weekend working on it to get about 30 seconds of animation because I figured like 10 seconds wasn't enough. And uh, it turns out that I think who had done it before uh, Neil had done this once before using a different effect to create the United States moving in and populating, um, you know, sort of the map. But uh, the way I had done it was a little bit different, a little bit novel, but it was new to me. It's one of those things where a lot of times you think you've come up with something original and in reality, you don't know that someone else has been there before, but at the very least you learn something for yourself. So for me, that was a big revelation because I didn't ever think about it as a tool for that. Uh, another time, not that long later, was um, when I actually tried polygons for the first time because I had specifically avoided a lot of the deeper technical things in Tableau that I would never have to use for work. Um, paging is one because, frankly, a lot of times you want to avoid the idea of that um, at work because a lot of executives like to see stuff's kind of flat. They'd like to be able to print it. And paging isn't the most effective way to do that unless you like to print the same page 40 times. Um so using polygons, I was like, what can I make with polygons? I mean, what is a polygon in the first place? So my friend Vince Balmel, one day I asked that question. He's like, oh, it's simple. It's Cartesian mapping, like one, 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 two. That's a line between these two things. And he showed how to draw a square. I was like, that's it? Was like, that's it. So I think maybe two days later, I had drawn a large, um, legally distinct Batman shape. And I was like, hmm, okay, I can make a viz out of this. So I was thinking, okay, what's worth saying about Batman? It's like, I guess Batman's died a lot. So as I started thinking about how many times I knew that Batman had died in various incarnations and then continued to look, it's a lot more than you'd expect. Like they kill Batman all the time. Like there's a lot of money in bringing Batman back from the dead. Um, so I made this visual visualization where when you hover on one of the segments of the bat, it highlights a line going down to like highlight a comic book cover and tell you my one sentence summary of what killed Batman, um, which is fun. Um, and obviously a topic that I was more interested in than some of the topics I tackled in the past that I was less interested in. Um, so stuff like that sort of over time has uh, driven me to keep uh, investing and exploring and pushing. You mentioned so many different non-data things in there. Like Batman, uh, you um, mentioned bands, music. Uh, so far in this podcast, you've also mentioned uh, comics and then M. Night. There's a definite yet very diverse theme to your work. Tell me more about what that means for you in terms of expressing your interests, your hobbies, um, who you are, and your identity through all of this stuff. That's really an interesting question. I guess I, I typically don't think about it like that. I mean, growing up, I was a kid in the 80s and 90s and stuff, and a lot of the stuff I was into wasn't really popular then. It's very popular now. So I was the kid reading like Star Wars Expanded Universe novels and Spider-Man comics and 
gosh, I was into like Stargate, like all the stuff that would uh, would ostracize you during that time period. And at this point in time, puts you right smack in the middle of the mainstream. So um, I, I hung on to a lot of the stuff I liked. And while I view it differently now, like if you were to talk to 12 year old me about Star Wars, I'd have very different opinions than I do as 39 year old me. Um, I still enjoy all that stuff to different degrees and in different ways um, than I did back then. And I think for me, it's if I make a viz that I'm really interested in, it'll automatically be more interesting to people than if I make a viz I'm not really interested in. Because you can tell it comes across um, because you're going to put in that extra work. You're going to see the passion and you're going to see the drive that went into it. Um, And it's oftentimes going to be more creative and uh, just generally more polished. I totally hear you on the, um, when I was young, the things I liked weren't popular. Uh, I don't know if maybe um, I've just gotten too old to recognize who the popular and not popular kids are now. Um, But I went to go get my groceries the other day and all the bag boys were wearing Dragon Ball shirts. And I remember I wore a Dragon Ball shirt when I was in late middle school, maybe early high school, and I got made fun of for it. Um, there was a group of friends and I that liked it and everyone else made fun of us for liking anything anime related. And it seems now like, uh, it's not only socially acceptable, but, um, a little bit more of a norm to like things like that. Uh, so I, I 100% hear you on that. Um, I also think about the Marvel cinematic universe and for any of our listeners that didn't already know this, um, Zach's not just a fan of comics because of the the surfacing of the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, Zach was a true reader and I had dabbled in some comics. Zach and I formed a friendship over that. And then he threw me so far into the deep end on all sorts of comics. And I have loved every minute of the journey reading, not just the popular stuff, but the fringe stuff. Um, Zach is a true fan that has witnessed the rise of the pop culture uh, superhero. So Zach, I want to ask, what is your opinion of contemporary superhero movies and the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I'm going to put you on the spot, and I told you there were going to be some controversial questions here. I think it's great for everyone that loves it. I mean, not everything is going to be a hit for me, um, and that's fine. Like That's sort of where I came to with Star Wars. Um, there are many Star Wars fans uh, my age and older that um, feel disappointed with a lot of Star Wars movies uh, because it doesn't feel like they're Star Wars. And that's fine because they have their Star Wars and anything that happens now doesn't change what they have and what they can go back and watch and enjoy whenever they want. For me, I've enjoyed a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of it I didn't really care about that much. I mean, there's to me, there's a lot of Thor 2s out there, which were just kind of okay. Um, I thought that they ended on a really high note at the end of what I'm going to call the last movie, which was... Gosh, it's not even Infinity War. I don't even remember, Josh. Like, that's how disconnect. Okay, that's how much of a nerd I am that I know the comics better than I know the movies. But um, I was actually just watching Infinity War uh, with my daughter downstairs because she hasn't seen it yet. And we've slowly been watching through a lot of these movies. And for me, it's seeing her excitement when she sees uh, Spider-Man appear on screen and what she thought was an Iron Man movie. And to me, that takes me back to when I was a kid and a lot of the early joy I found in looking at a comic book. Um. I don't necessarily love the interconnectedness because to me, a lot of times a story is just a story and it makes more sense on its own. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense that Thor doesn't show up to save the day when Captain America's in trouble. But you know, that's because Chris Hemsworth is off doing something else and they didn't want to pay him a fee for this movie and it would meddle mess up the plot. But it's like, um, that's one of the early things about comic books that I loved is that 
you would see a guest appearance from Doctor Strange, who's a character I don't know at all, and he just shows up in this story. And it's a story that I know nothing about because I bought it at like off the rack at Kroger, and it's issue two of seven. I don't know what happened before this, and I definitely don't know where it's going. But there was sort of this uh, excitement of always being in the middle of the story and sort of not knowing everything that came before and not knowing everything that came after uh, that I think can be a little bit alienating with some of the cinematic movies because I see people that are a little bit late to the game and they're like, oh man, like these, um, these last couple of Avengers movies look really great. I hear, hear people tell them, it's like, oh, well, you have to watch like 18 movies to really get on board. And that was exactly the problem I saw with comics like as I was growing up as a kid. It's like, oh man, Spider-Man looks really fun. It's like, yeah, but you're gonna have to read about three years worth of stuff before you can really get into this one. And my whole approach is like, if you're enjoying it, like just jump on it. Like you can figure stuff out later and you can go back and catch up later. Just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I learned the hard way. Um, I learned the lesson the hard way. You, you recommended uh, a comic book run to me and then I was digging into it and I was like, well, I feel like I should read all these things beforehand. And next thing I knew, I was like, 100 comics deep into a web of things that I need to have read, assuming that I was drawing a relatively arbitrary line, right? I mean, we could easily just go back to uh, the very first time Jack Kirby put his uh, pencil down on a piece of paper and then follow that continuity up to the story you recommended. So um, that's, that is absolutely advice um, that I'd encourage any of the listeners that may say, I think I'm going to go ahead and give uh, give comic reading a try because Zach's podcast here was just so inspirational that I want to j- jump in. That won't it. happen. So don't, don't worry about that. And, and, um, and anyone that wasn't already interested has tuned out like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump into another uh, pop culture expression here. The thing that I, I think you were most known for, uh, or the thing that I think I am most uh, associated you with, when I first entered the Tableau community was your absolutely incredible GIF game. And we're just going to go ahead and set the record straight. It's called GIF. It's not GIF. Your incredible GIF game, the the way you can just immediately respond to anything with the perfect GIF is I think something all of us could better aspire to. What are your tips for those of us that are just wanting to get started mastering GIFs? I mean, it, I treat it like dodgeball. You have to be willing to sacrifice your body. Like sometimes you're going to, you're going to throw out imperfect gifts and, and like in dodgeball, you might have to throw yourself backwards and land flat on your back in order to um, miss that dodge. Sometimes you're going to throw out gifts that land flat. Sometimes you're going to choose ones that just don't hit right. But if you're doing it often enough, you'll find stuff that, you know, works consistently and and sort of resounds with your personality. I think a lot of it comes down to sort of your personality and your tweet style. Um, in my VizConnect, I laid out my um, my prime directives for social media and for uh, visualization. And for me, having fun is a big part of it. And fortunately, gifts work really well with having fun. If you have a super per- like super serious Twitter personality, it's going to be a lot harder for you to use gifts like in a way that's uh, winsome and meaningful. I think a lot of it for me is uh, be willing to make fun of yourself. Uh, particularly if you're going to tease other people like, and, uh, and don't punch down. I hear that, you know, for a lot of our readers, I think, nope, listeners for a lot of our listeners, I think, uh, or viewers, uh, I think a lot of our our gifts are going to be just that something to aspire to. Um, I know I, I sometimes feel like I've 
spent all my time digging through whatever the search algorithm returns for me for that perfect gift. And by the time I submit it, you've submitted the next one in the list that was even better than the one I was finding. So it's, it's uh, at least I've got to up my game if I'm going to be in the, the same arena as you are. I think I'm just really good at like novel worthless skills. Like if you could aspire <laughs> to that, you'd do a lot better. I will. Um, I will get right on that. Um, let's jump a little bit back toward Tableau. I don't want to take your readers way too far off track. Your listeners, your viewers. I'm gonna, viewers. I'm, They're not viewers. Uh, I'm going to eventually get the right noun there. Um, your style has become something very unique. Um, and while we were talking before you pushed the record button, um, I've been talking about how I been training some people on sort of the the process I personally follow to put together a new biz. And as part of that process, I go to people I find inspiring. And, and for some recent work, while I began the year thinking, I'm going to make these really long visits, um, I got so much inspiration from people like yourself doing these one hit visits, one chart, or just a couple of charts linked together. Um, and your profile this year has become such an inspiration. Uh, and so before I sit down and I visit anything, if I know it's going to be in that sort of one powerful and incredibly well-designed chart, I go to your profile first. Uh, and I look at that and I, I just see how you've made different choices. I see what different techniques you've used in your design. And then when I look at my blank canvas, um, it lets me start with a little bit of a, what would Zach do in this situation? So there's my question. Um, how do you figure out what to do? How do you start? What's your process to get to this really unique style that, that defines your online data art persona? Well, well, Josh, Zen master and uh, iron viz winner. Um, what I typically do is um, I don't have a plan. Like, frankly, uh, I don't have any visas banked in advance. I don't have any ideas uh, that I've written down. I don't have anything like almost everything is born out of like an idea that came to me in the moment and a desperate sense of needing to create it like right then. And sometimes it doesn't work. And uh, what I mean doesn't work is uh, it. I create something and I'm like, that's fine. Um, I don't really have a lot of hidden visits in my portfolio and I might my, my screen up for you right now. And you can see a couple that might be in progress but there's not really anything that's just sort of a bomb that I've hidden. And it's because I put out everything. I work it until I feel it's something that I can live with. And then I put out, but not being super precious about my work, ironically, uh, can lead to better work. Um, because it's something I wasn't able to do when I used to draw a lot more. I was very uh, precious and um, stuff never felt done. Uh, so I would just keep working on it. And then much like uh, something you'd relate to, a 60 hour video game, eventually you just kind of burn out, lose interest and never finish it. There's sort of a sweet spot. And for me with public work, with the exception of maybe my iron viz, which I put over 30 hours into that sweet spot is probably between an hour and like three hours worth of work. So in terms of what it will take to accomplish that idea, um, what would I like to do? Um, it's going to be small. It's going to be impactful. It's probably going to be like you said, a couple visits at most, a couple charts at most, um, maybe just one. And what makes it interesting, um, which in my Viz Connect, I, I frame as the idea, think like a dyslexic because my nine-year-old daughter's dyslexic. And one of the fascinating things about dyslexics is 
Um, there's so many of them that have been massively successful that you don't know were dyslexics like Spielberg and Steve Jobs and gosh, Newton, um, Da Vinci. And a big part of it is their brain is literally wired different um, from most people's brains. They don't take input the same way that that I do. Um, so when I'm looking at something, I, I look at it and I think, what would make this interesting to me? What would be a unique way to show this? And sometimes that doesn't work that well. And sometimes it does. And sometimes um, it means uh, taking a chart and using it in a way that it wouldn't typically be. Um, like I use pie charts to represent uh, affiliations to different teams. So an individual with two would just be split down the middle and be two colors, but someone with three would be, you know, sort of 33% each. Um, so a lot of it comes down to that, just sort of thinking of novel ways to use existing things. And if you look at my portfolio, you don't see a ton of exotic charts on here, really. A lot of these are out-of-the-box charts, very standard chart types, just used differently. Um, and that's something I sort of made a choice to do. It's You can get really wrapped up in creating really amazing, technical, uh, difficult-to-make charts. And a lot of people do it, and a lot of people are really good at it. But that's not really something I've ever had a lot of passion about. And I would rather spend time tweaking something to look just the way I want than putting in the investment to sort of grind away on like the trigonometry to make like the perfect stream graph because I did it once and I, I'm, I'm kind of good on that. I don't, I don't want to do that again. So, so much of our conversation has been about um, sort of pop culture inspiration that you draw from for these visits. That's just so phenomenally successful and part of who you are uh, to our community. Um, but then you put out something like your fireworks viz. Um, and I specifically wanted to make sure to, to call that one out. If you haven't seen it, it's this, um, beautiful chart that I, I highly recommend people look into. Um, but it's this, uh, it's this sort of quadrant, right. Um, between boring, exciting, uh, safe and dangerous. And, um, then it's, these illustrations of what those look like. Um, the, the most simplest of data, um, it almost feels like a stretch at that point to call that data. It's definitely a graphic and there's definitely information presented. Um, but whereas it's easy for my brain to look at your work that's inspired by pop culture and say, ah, he has been inspired by a thing and wants to produce something because of that inspiration. Um, this fireworks chart, um, I don't know, maybe you were, uh, inspired by watching a spark or maybe that's not the case. What, how did this one come to be? What was the process? Wow. Um, so we're coming up the 4th of July and in America, that's our independence day. Uh, so people buy fireworks and, uh, injure themselves to varying degrees with them at home, which is tradition. Um, so I was thinking about, uh, going to pick up some fireworks, uh, for my kids and uh, my kids are grade schoolers. We're not doing anything crazy, but uh, ironically, many of the sort of fireworks aimed at children are some of the, like the most dangerous. So um, I was thinking about sparklers, which everyone thrusts into the hands of small children. And like sparklers are shooting off molten little pieces of magnesium that if like they don't hit your skin and burn you end up on your driveway as a short of, sort of like like a caltrop, like like a police would drop to stop a vehicle like that, but for the sole of your foot. So like you, you're not going to see it, but you're going to feel it. Um, so I was thinking about various fireworks and it's like, man, some of them are really exciting and dangerous. And I was thinking, but some of them are really boring and dangerous. And then some of them 
aren't very dangerous, but also aren't very exciting. And then I was sort of, I'm like, okay, hold on. I'm thinking about quadrants here. I'm thinking about something that looks like like a car, a reference card I could take in my wallet. So when I'm shopping for fireworks, I could make the appropriate choice, which I mean, I would argue there's like not an appropriate choice. Like the point at which you're, you're buying fireworks, you've already opted into some form of injury. But um, I was looking for like that perfect like it's safe and it's exciting and it does not exist in the world of fireworks because you're inherently talking about something that you are causing to explode uh, for entertainment. And uh, the point at which you you've entered into that, um, that covenant uh, you have accepted uh, all risk involved. So I've got three quad, I've got four quadrants. I've got boring and ex- boring, exciting, and then safeish and dangerous because nothing's really safe, even a bottle rocket. And uh, the exciting and safeish just doesn't. Uh, so I thought it was fun to like just leave a blank space there. Um, sometimes the absence of something, uh, even in your work data, is as telling as the presence. So true. You know, I'm still trying to figure out, um, as someone that uh, left incredibly rural life with neighbors that were um, at best a half mile away, I'm still trying to figure out what the norms are around fireworks in the city. Um, it- it seems like some people go free for all and just are going to launch Roman candles from their backyard. Uh, and other people uh, are going to call the police if you drop those little things that make loud noises on the on the sidewalk. So I'm still not quite sure what the norms are. And that might be if you were to think about uh, adding another dimension to this viz, um, which direction or which ones will get the police called on you um, could be another interesting exploration. That's next year. Next year. Um uh, I will do my best to not be in the data set that you might be visualizing. I'll stick to the, the safe and boring, I guess. Uh, you mentioned your iron biz recently. Um, I wanted to dive into your iron biz. Um, I felt like it was uh, a really inspiring take. Um, you know, it was an interesting look at uh, uh, health and wellness. Um, I know we had talked a little bit about the topic um, and your ideas, and then it felt like uh, overnight, which again comes to, you know, how busy your life must be. It felt like almost overnight you returned with um, something so incredible. Uh, I know Iron Biz has just uh, passed the the deadline, so it's not going to be inspiration for people entering this year, but for next year, you know, what was that like? Um, You know, let's, Let's hear it. Was this your first Iron Biz entry? Um, what was it like uh, entering into this one? What were the challenges you faced? Um, how do you feel coming out of it? Uh, all great questions. And I'm saying this to someone that is an Iron Biz champion and your work was amazing. Um, I never wanted to enter Iron Biz. Um, and I'm saying that not because I don't enjoy making making cool vises and I'm not necessarily um, weirded out by competition, although standing on a stage uh, doing something super technical in front of a lot of people, we've all done tech demos at work. Like we know that whatever you do is five times harder with an audience. Um, But I haven't really embraced what I consider to be the iron viz feeder viz, uh, which I consider to be like a long form viz, uh, really wordy, um, with lots of sort of graphics along the way, illustrating your point. It's not my style. Um, so if I'm voluntarily creating something, I typically wouldn't do that. So um, as I was thinking about Iron Viz, I'd been doing some health visits recently about vaccination data because I was inspired by Hans Rosling's factfulness, um, sort of showing how a lot of the perceptions we have about where a lot of the world is in terms of healthcare and stuff may not necessarily be representative of reality. But there's a lot of stuff that's progressed a lot more rapidly than we realize 
And if we're going to sort of dedicate resources, let's make sure we're dedicating them in the right places in the right ways to, to tell people. So I was inspired by that. I thought about going back to that data source again, because I'd already done two passes. And one of my, one of my secrets, one of my secret weapons is revisiting the same data sets because you use the same data set at work all the time. Like you're always learning new stuff from that. Why not go back to the same data set used for recreation and come up with a new viz? I must have done six different passes on a video game sales set. And I've come up with interesting new takes every single time, at least to me. Um, so I was thinking about doing that, but I wasn't like super passionate. And as is one of my mantras, if you're not super passionate, maybe it's not where you need to be dedicating your time. And I was talking with you and stuff and you're like, well, you know, um, it's health and wellness and wellness has a lot of different aspects to it. Isn't there a way you could sort of bring wellness into one of the areas that you're really interested in? So I've been thinking a lot about the idea of representation and representation as wellness and sort of being included and feeling like you're part of the show, you know? Um, and I started to think about that in terms of comics, which is obviously one of my things that I talk about a lot. And uh, if you're thinking about tuning out now, I'm not going to get too heavy into that. But um, I started looking and I found a BET data set on their top uh, 100 favorite black characters. And it's interesting. I started looking through it and I know a lot of them. Um, and as I was, as reading through it, this wasn't part of the data set, but something I knew so many of these characters were sort of created by like white creators. So like black Panther, for example, despite having, you know, one of the biggest openings of all time and sort of being a cultural touchstone in terms of that movie's release was created by Stanley, Stanley Leibowitz and Jack Kirby, you know, two Jewish creators, which, I mean, it's cool. They're doing cool work, but it's like, is their finger really on the pulse of what it's like to be black in America in the 1960s when they created this character? No, I mean, their heart was probably in the right place. They created this guy who's brilliant. He runs a country. He is the, um, he is the a perfect foil to Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, who was one of their other creations and one of the smartest characters in the Marvel Universe. And they made this guy a hero on par with him, you know, their their own other creation. They wanted to create something that they thought was powerful and representative, but at the same time, they don't really know. Um, so as I was going through this data set, I started to think about that. And I did a lot of supplemental research and I went in and looked up all the creators for everyone. And as I was doing this, I started to notice uh, there was a company popping up in the mix a lot that I hadn't thought about in a long time, and they're known as Milestone Media, also known as Milestone Comics. Milestone was created in sort of the early 90s, back when the American comic industry had a boom. Uh, they also had a bust immediately afterwards, which is why you don't see them in grocery stores or 7-Elevens or anything anymore. There's a period there where you can get them anywhere. But um, several black comic creators were like, hey, we're working at many of these major companies, but we don't get to keep anything we make. Like, none of these creations are ours. And, you know, you only get compensated so much and we're not sort of seeing the career progression we'd like. What if we just start our own company and made characters that sort of resounded with us, like that are like people we know. Um, and that's where many of these creations like Static, who had a hit cartoon show, Static Shock came from. He was sort of like the proto blurg, like black nerd, like before that became like, you know, a thing in pop culture. And I mean, he's like a direct line to uh, Miles Morales, who was a hit the other year in uh, Spider-Man Beyond Spider-Verse. Like he is very much like the proto version of that. So as I was looking through this, I was seeing that they represented such a huge portion of the black created characters in this list. And beyond that, uh, Dwayne McDuffie in particular was one of the founders of this company, was the writer for almost all of them. And I had known McDuffie from several of his other projects that he'd worked on, but I hadn't totally forgotten about this this uh, venture of his. So as I sort of progressed through the data myself, I kind of recreated that journey through the data for the reader as I looked at this. And if you were to look at this viz up front, you might not immediately see its connection to sort of health and wellness, because 
I named it CMYK, A Story of Comics, Color Printing and Representation. Color Printing and Representation, which uh, sounds like a novel. Um, but really, what I'm trying to do is, uh, which was fairly ambitious, and we'll see how well it goes over with judges, try to compare the idea of the color printing process, CMY, versus the way that Black characters were created prior to Milestone. So when Milestone entered on the scene, you started to see more Black characters created by Black creators after that, not just at Milestone, but elsewhere, because people are like, oh, this makes a lot of sense, because I don't really know what it's like to be a Black person. How accurately can I write about this? And similarly, uh, the CMY color process, which is cyan, magenta, and yellow, um, could create almost any color in terms of printing except for Black. It could create like a really true gray but it couldn't accurately represent the entire color spectrum, which is why they added K, which is key, which is black, which is used to sort of lay the foundation for the entire color printing and define the boundaries and sort of set the tone. And then you fill in all the rest of the colors. But if you're trying to sort of create black characters without black creators in, in the mix, like you're not going to get a true representation and true fidelity. I loved hearing all of that, especially the, um, the transformation of what you started with uh, and what you ended with and the research that led you through there um, combined with your own interests. Um, you know, this, uh, this feels no more or less uh, representative of you than any of your other business on your profile. But um, this to me captures more of your thinking. Um, and I feel like in the short time you just described uh, what you went through to produce this. Um, I'm sure you could describe way more and dive way more into the history. Um, and I could just listen to you talk about that all day long because your passion's coming through um, and, and you're shining it through for, uh, for a really good cause. So um, on behalf of others in the community that I know have, have told me they appreciated this and loved it. Um, uh, thank you for producing uh, that and entering into the iron biz uh, well, and speaking thanks for that of, for sure. Um, and speaking of the community um, kind of a last line of, of things I wanted to ask you about um, you mentioned on the introductory blog post uh, before I knew it was going to come on and I was going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. I wanted to be at least somewhat prepared. So I did the most cliche thing possible and, and kind of dug into the description and, and looked at the intro blog post you had about this. And you mentioned how the community, the, the hashtag data fam has had an immense impact on you. Um, tell us more about that. I mean, it's hard making friends as an adult, um, bluntly, um, especially once you've had kids, because a lot of your connections have been severed. Um, once you first get married, you'll find you don't have to spend as much time with your single friends. Once you have kids, you find you don't spend as much time with your friends without kids. Or even with kids for that matter, because honestly, you're sort of refocusing and redirecting. Your so your world starts to shrink and a lot of your connections are either sort of familiar and sort of local to your family and, and that sort of thing, or your work friends. Um, but your your world does shrink dramatically. And as I started to discover the Tableau community and sort of discover passion for visualization, not just as a labor of work, but as a later of passion and fun, I discovered other people that were into the same thing. And much like any sort of hobby interest group, um, I started building connections with these people, people like you and Vince Baumel, Lindsay Betzendahl, just all sorts of people um, from all over, all sorts of different backgrounds that all had this sort of one thing in common. And it became a really fun way to keep going. 
Um, because when you're laboring in a, ba- a vacuum and you're sort of creating something and there's never any, I'm not going to say audience for it, but there's never any feedback. There's never any response. It's uh, it's hard to keep going um, because not many people create anything specifically for themselves. They're creating it because they would like to share it. Um, and that's not to say I'm like attention seeking in this, but it's having a community to bounce ideas off of, get feedback from. Even when you're developing, I always ask different people, like, what do you think of this? Does this work for you? Um, and, you know, you sort of discern, you know, based on your personal aesthetic and uh, does this work? Does it not? Uh, what feedback am I going to embrace? What feedback am I sort of on the table for now? But having the ability to do that and having a whole group of people into the same stuff I was in um, just really made a lot of friends for me, frankly. And that's been one of the things that's kept me going um, because it's fun to create awesome stuff and it's fun to keep creating awesome stuff. But the people behind the awesome stuff really goes a long way towards keeping you interested. Yeah. And I um, really want to call out the friend part there. Um, that's been, I found the community to be very welcoming to me for sure. But I think you were one of the first people that uh, not only reached out, but continued to reach out. And continued to reach out and uh, built up uh, a, a friendship. Um, you know, there's not a ton of people, um, even in my physical spheres, uh, that I will text late at night after I've read a comic and I'm excited about it or play a video game. Usually I do those things and then, okay, now I'm off to bed and I'll just mull it over my brain. But now I have someone to reach out and say, have you read this? Can you imagine this happened? Um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of others have gotten that friendship out of you. Um, that's a huge thing I really think you bring to the community. Um, your work is incredible. Your work is inspiring. Your growth has been incredible inspiring. You figure out how to do things in Tableau that I have to really reverse engineer to figure out. But I think one of the most important things to me is just you're such an open friend to me. And I know so many others have... Uh, express the same sentiment about you. So you hold such an important place in the community and um, really, really appreciate your friendship. And I'm really glad to hear that you feel that you're receiving the same thing back. Uh, 100%, man. Awesome. Um, Well, we have already brung the listeners on for a longer than usual podcast, Um, but it has been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you. And I think I could continue... um, Uh, just asking you questions all night long. But let me finish with this. Is there anything you would want to say to the community that I haven't given you the opportunity to say with the questions I've asked thus far? Just thanks for everything. I mean, seriously, it's there's been a million people along the way that have sort of been influential to me or helped me or retweeted me. You know, it's uh, like I've said um, to other people, no one uh, did this in a vacuum, you know, and I'm saying this like I'm, I'm we're talking like a, I either just won an award or like I'm dying. Like this podcast sounds like one of those two. Uh, it's neither. Don't don't worry about that, guys. Like I'm not getting an award or dying. Um, but like no one developed all of their aesthetics and uh, capabilities and all of that on their own. And it's by promoting others and by sort of being generous with our time and helping other people out that we all sort of move forward. And it's a pleasure for me to be able to do that for other people, just as other people have done that for me. So thank you for everything. And thank you for allowing me to sort of be part of your community and to reach out. Awesome. Well, since I hijacked uh, your podcast, I get to do my sign off, I guess. So uh, Zach, I appreciate you. Thank you for everything you bring to the community. 
you paused it too soon. And now you're hearing me say you paused it too soon again. Um, <clears throat> uh, thank I paused you for it. I didn't pause it. Oh, okay. Well, we're fine then. Um, uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you bring to the community or what you bring to the community. Um, I appreciate you. Uh, this has been data plus love. Love y'all. Peace. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks for your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network. 